Do you have a new web project coming up? Are you thinking about choosing Django or maybe Flask? Those are excellent frameworks, but you might also want to check out TurboGears. It was created and released around the same time as Django. It lets you start your project as a micro framework, kind of like Flask, and yet you can scale up to a full stack solution, more like Django. It has built-in support for both relational databases via SQL Alchemy and MongoDB. This week, Alessandro Molina is here to tell us all about TurboGears. This is episode number 35 of Talk Python to Me, recorded October 20th, 2015. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on... Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. Keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. This episode is brought to you by Hired and Codeship. Thank them for supporting the show on Twitter via at hired underscore hq and at codeship. Hey, everyone. Before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about a project I'm working on, and I need your help to make it happen. I've been asked by many listeners something along the lines of, how do I get started learning Python? Or, I'm new to Python, what should I focus on? And sometimes people even ask, how do I get a job as a Python programmer? I've decided to answer this question via a roundtable discussion format between people who just got into the industry as new developers and people who make decisions about hiring new developers on Python teams. This is where you come in. If you're a newly hired Python developer, maybe you got your job in the last year or so, would you come on the show and spend 10 minutes talking about how you learned Python and how you got started in software development, maybe what, what it was that got you your first job, that kind of stuff? On the other hand, if you're a technical leader responsible for hiring Python developers, would you come on the show for also 10 minutes and give us recommendations for new and aspiring developers? maybe what you look for, what skills are really important to you, and just what you think they need to do to get started and, and land that first interview and that first job. You can read about the whole project in a blog post I just wrote at bit.ly slash talkpythonhiring, talkpythonhiring. What do you say? Can you come be part of the show and help your fellow developers? I'm looking for maybe three to four people from each group. If this isn't you, but you know someone who is the perfect fit for this little project of mine, send them the link and encourage them to be part of it. All right, now let's get on to the show. Alessandro, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thank you. Hey, thanks for being on, on the podcast. We've got some cool web stuff to talk about today. So we're going to talk about Turbo Gears, its history, its evolution, why, why it's so awesome, and its future. But before we get into all that cool stuff, let's talk about your story. How do you get started in programming in Python? I actually started programming in a totally different language, which was C++. And I actually hated Python at the beginning. I was forced to use it at work at the company of a friend of mine. And then using it day by day, it's impossible to not fall in love with it because it's so clear, so fast to rapidly prototype things especially when compared to C++. And so at the end, I started using Python for everything in my career. And since I moved here in Turin and founded Accent, we 
worked on Python on practically everything. <laughs> That's really interesting. So why didn't you like it in the beginning? Well, it's really strange. If you are a C++ developer, you're probably used to structuring your things a lot, thinking a lot about how you should make a class or uh, everything is pretty much like uh, the, the beauty behind the architecture of your code. While Python is more direct, you can rapidly prototype things. And at the beginning, I thought it was not a great idea to start uh, Drawing code which you can also like monkey patch or use mix scenes, which are really powerful concepts. But if you pay, if you do not pay attention to them, you might misuse them and end up with some chaos in your code, which C++ somehow forced you to avoid doing that. But at the end, the clarity and simplicity of the language clearly wins over much of the other benefits of a more structured language for me. Yeah, I think a lot of people have that reaction. It manifests itself in different ways. So I think one of those common ways is people see Python so simple, it, it, doing things so simply, and they think, oh, well, this is so simple, it must not be a real language. Like, where is the compile and link step? And where <laughs> is all of this you know, other structure. And so, you know, what good is Python for? Is this just like kind of like a better scripting language rather than bash? <laughs> right. I mean, I, I get asked yeah. that question literally often. Yeah. Well, my first impression was that too, but it was clearly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can give some really interesting examples. Like, um, the guy from PayPal, Mahmoud Hashemi, who was on show number four, actually has a bunch of amazing examples of, you know, sort of discrediting that idea. But it, it's a very common idea. So you, you started there and then you worked with Python and over time you just fell in love with it, huh? Yeah. I think I went through something similar, I guess, in the beginning as well. But it didn't take long to convince me that, you know, it was a good idea. <laughs> Let's talk about Turbo Gears. What's Turbo Gears? Well, Turbo Gears is a web development framework. There are actually a lot in the Python ecosystem, but I think it's one a really particular one because that's some of the key concepts that you do not see often in other frameworks. Uh, for example, Turbo Gears has started as a, a collection of the best libraries available when Turbo Gears was created. So it didn't start as a framework from scratch, okay, is so that there were really good ideas around and started and tried to collect them together. And then moved into something more complex and more uh, architectured into a real framework itself. So the idea was, the original idea was, hey, look, here's a really cool templating engine. And over here is some sort of HTTP processing library. And here's a, a great little web server. And if we just stitch these together into a package and kind of wire them together, hey, we have a web framework, right? Yeah, practically the core idea was that one. So they, the team at the time started with Cherry Pie, with Kid, with SQL objects, which were the most used technologies at the time, because we are talking around 2005 or something like that. And they collected them all together, put a widgets library on top of that, which was at the time the, Tosca, the TurboGears widgets library. And then they started to create uh, extensions and whatever was possible to evolve over that set of libraries. 
and ended up having turbo gears, which at that time was something really um, powerful because we are talking in years where even Django was just getting started. Django was launched like two months before Turbo Gears, so they got like being created at the same time where not much was available around. So who was the original creator? Well, Turbo Gears has been created at the version one, was created by Kevin Dangor, who works uh, right now, I think, at Mozilla, if I'm not wrong. And I don't know if he still works on web stack on web development and things like that. But uh, then he moved away from Turbogeos and uh, uh, Mark Ram took over the development of the 2.0 version and started rewriting it on top of pylons, which was like more modern technology at the time, was just getting at its peak of uh, uh, usage and new technologies like SQL Alchemy were available and Genshi was available. So they decided to rewrite Turbo Gears from scratch and move from uh, Cherry Pie and so on to uh, Pylons and Genshi and SQL Alchemy. So to a totally different step, which was uh, better from their point of view, but of course it was totally different and new technology. Yeah, did that make upgrading challenging? Yeah, actually, one of the uh, core reasons why Turbogears lost in user base and popularity at the time was because a lot of people have been scared by this uh, move away from everything they were using for their daily development and had to rewrite most of their web application to a different framework, different uh, template engine. Uh, I actually were just using Turbo Gears, just getting started with Turbo Gears at the time. I did like two web applications with Turbo Gears 1. And I remember that I was really frustrated because I had to rewrite everything from scratch. <laughs> like, especially for the database part, because SQL Object and SQL Alchemy are really, really different. Well, SQL Alchemy is far more... Uh, flexible, more powerful, but it's a lot different from the syntax and the way you use SQL object usually. Yeah, so it's not just a, you know, pip, install, turbo gears, upgrade, and off you go. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty serious thing to make that change. And so that caused a lot of problems, like you said, for people getting frustrated. Yeah, that's, I think, one of the reasons why we learned the lesson <laughs> and then <laughs> we tried to avoid breaking backward compatibility from version 2.1 and forward. We never broke backward compatibility again, even when we switched away from pylons and rewrote things. It's been one of the core uh, targets for Turbogears to try to do not make the same error twice. <laughs> so going forward and for a long time since you upgraded too, it's like basically, all right, we're guaranteeing that you can more or less just continue to upgrade as we do releases, right? Yeah, exactly. For example, now we support Python 3, which as we know has a lot of differences and some libraries are not available on Python 3. Like when Turbogear started, there was a paste 
Uh, and then we moved uh, to a tool we created ourselves, Gearbox. But the commands are the same and the options are the same and you just pip install one or the other. And if you are on an old version of Python, you can also install paste and go on using that one. So even when we replace technologies, we guarantee that you can use the new one or the old one and both will work for the long term. And when we write a technology ourselves, we try to make sure that it's the same as the previous one as for the interface for the user and so on. Okay, that's that's really great. I, I think that's the right path, you know. These apps are gonna probably be long lived and so you wanna be able to keep supporting them, right? Before you yeah. you mentioned a lot of interesting technologies like Gearbox and some of the other stuff that are the, the building blocks of Turbo Gears. But before we get, you know, into that level of detail, let's talk a little bit about the, the philosophy of Turbo Gears. On the web page for Turbo Gears, uh, on TurboGears.org, you have uh, a couple of sort of reasons that Turbo Gears 2 was created, right? So you say Turbo Gears 2, it's, it's kind of based on the good ideas from Django, Turbo Gears 1 and Ruby on Rails and those types of things. But you guys had frustrations with, with all of those frameworks. Yeah, well, one of the core ideas behind Turbo Gears is to actually make possible to, to make a structure of your web application, which is really simple and organized. Okay, like uh, uh, one of the core parts that got frustrated me with frameworks like Django or Flask or, or even Pylons itself, which Turbogears was based on, was the routing. Because while regular expressions are really, really powerful, if you have a huge project, they start to get it somehow messy. You have a lot of regular expressions, you have to try to resolve them uh, to understand where the code that serves that page or performs that action is actually. And so if you work on a team and you have to test this project to another developer who has never seen that project before, he will need a lot of time to get started into the project and understand where things are going, how things are done, and where the code that does something is actually is. And TurboGears actually uses a totally different dispatch model, which is called object dispatch, on top of which uh, everything, every URL, by default, is the path of your object. So it's much like the pyramid traversal, if you have ever seen it, but it doesn't use dictionaries, it uses objects. So every controller has actually methods, which are the URLs you expose, and it can have subcontrollers, which are subparts of your website. And if you do not provide any regular expression or any special routing on top of that, they just get served exactly where you will find the object itself. So if I see a user new uh, URL, I know that it will be properly served by the new method inside the user file, and I can go there and start doing whatever I need to do without needing to understand the structure of the project and things like that. And this philosophy of having a framework which is easy uh, for big projects and for people having to get started on a, an already existing project is also visible on the template engine because TurboGears uses one of the few template engines that is able to validate your HTML code 
So if you did something wrong with your HTML code, you do not discover it when you see the page and see that it's actually broken, but you discover it at compile time when the com template engine is compiled. It will provide you with errors. For example, you forgot to close the tag or things like that. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of both Pyramid and Flask. This thing that you point out about the routing is, it is really annoying to have to configure that somewhere else rather than just, hey, the way my files are laid out, boom, this, this is how yeah. it works, right? Which is really, really nice. And then down into the classes and so on. So in Turbo Gears, you've got sort of the, the way of writing code that handles the requests are by creating controller classes, right? So you derive from like a base class and then you add methods to that yeah. base class, right? Exactly. Of course, not everything that you write in your class is exposed as a URL because that would be a security issue, <laughs> but you can easily make things uh, from a method to a web page. The difference is just you have to put a decorator on top of the method and it becomes available. Yeah, I really like the way that you're, you guys are doing that there. That's cool. The other thing that you mentioned that's pretty nice is the templating engine is sort of self-verifying. Like, I'm using the Chameleon templates right now on, on my website, and if something goes wrong, it's usually just a 500 server error. You know, something is, something is wrong. Sorry, with yeah. your template. You know, it's, it's really hard often to track down what's going on when you get that wrong, sometimes it, it gives you a good error message and sometimes it doesn't. Well, you are already lucky because I remember that when I started working with Ruby on Rails, there was Herb, which was the template engine. And if something was wrong, you actually didn't get any error. You use also a broken page and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> so at least Chameleon provides you errors. And what, what, the uh, Genshi and the template engine Tobias is using, try to do, uh, is actually trying to parse the structure of your file. So your template must be valid HTML. And they parse it and they try to understand how it's made. They try even to optimize it. And uh, they point out the exact error, like you forgot to close this tag at this line. So you know where, where something was broken. And as they actually parse the code, when you need to translate your web page, it's really, really easy because everything which is inside the tag can be translated. You don't have to mark with get text calls and things like that around. If it is inside the call, it's a string that can be translated. Yeah, that's, that's really excellent. So I don't know much about that template engine is is it possible to write like semi-structured HTML5 or does it have to be sort of pure XHTML? So for example, with like HTML5, it's fine to just put like an angle bracket BR with no, you know, closing, like auto-closing slash or self-closing slash and things like that. What's the story around that? This episode is brought to you by Hired. Hired is a two-sided, curated marketplace that connects the world's knowledge workers to the best opportunities. Each offer you receive has salary and equity presented right up front, and you can view the offers to accept or reject them before you even talk to the company. Typically, 
Candidates receive five or more offers in just the first week, and there are no obligations, ever. Sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? Well, did I mention there's a signing bonus? Everyone who accepts a job from Hired gets a $2,000 signing bonus. And as Talk Python listeners, it gets way sweeter. Use the link hired.com slash talkpython to me, and Hired will double the signing bonus to $4,000. Opportunities knocking. Visit hired.com slash talkpython to me and answer the call. Well, actually, if you are using uh, Genshi, which is the default template engine for TurboGS, you will have to write perfectly structured HTML files. So you need to close your tags in line and things like that. Uh, that's to actually tell to Genshi that you didn't forget to close that tag, but you did it on purpose. And But that's for that specific reason, because a great engine needs to be really structured and well validated. Then if you want to uh, output HTML5 and maybe avoid closing your head, avoid closing your body, and uh, uh, or things like that, you can just tell TurboGears to output the result in HTML5 mode, and it will do that for you. That might be even a considered a really powerful feature because uh, if you want to switch from HTML5 to XHTML or even HTML4, you just have to change the configuration options and the template engine will output the code you asked him to do. That's really cool. You know, I personally don't mind at all writing perfect, you know, properly structured XHTML because I feel like I have, like you said, control I can check. Okay, this is exactly right. Uh, I, I guess it's probably a personal preference, but I like it. Yeah. So another one of the goals you guys had when you created Turbo Gears 2 was you said you want, unlike things like Django and Rails, you want to be able to start as a micro framework, but scale up to a full stack solution. What does that mean? Well, actually, when Turbo Gears was created, it was totally a full stack framework. So it got started as full stack. But as the... Uh, community started moving toward uh, more API development and web services and things like that. It was clear that the full stack framework is far more complex than what you need to get started with a prototype or an API or similar things. And then when we uh, rewrote TurboGears in version 2.3, uh, removing pylons, and we took the chance to rewrite everything on top of a core uh, which would make possible to have uh, something which is a micro framework, so which provides everything you would expect, like a routing, like uh, um, the configuration of your application, but doesn't provide additional features like the template engine or the caching layer or things like that, which you can turn on and turn off and replace with whatever library you want whenever you want. For example, if I start to a new TurboGears project, I will get it with Genshi, which is the default template engine. Now, if I want to use uh, like Macro or Jinja or things like that, because I prefer to work with them, I can actually start uh, um, 
with a project that uses them instead of Genshi. And everything will work anyway, uh, because when working as a micro framework, you actually don't have any template engine at the beginning. You register one, and registering it just means enabling an, enabling an option. And you get started with that one. For if you want to turn on also database because you need SQL Alchemy, you turn on another option and SQL Alchemy is enabled. If you want to use something which Turbogears doesn't support at the moment, you can just set up itself like you would with any other micro framework like Flask or Bottle or things like that. Yeah, that's cool. So if I want to, I could just create a single Python file create a, a class which is a controller and have a single method on there and give it the expose decorator and more or less just say serve that and yeah. it, then I'm, I don't have the overhead of the database libraries all the templating stuff all those different things are, are kind of not there right? so if I were writing like a really really simple uh, JSON based service or something maybe that would make sense yeah let me tell you an example. Yesterday, one of our the guys in our team needed a little tool to preview the result of a, a bootstrap theme he was working on. And then I just created a quick and dirty file um, with TurboGears to render the theme replacing some variables through the template engine and nothing else. So I started with the micro framework mode. I started with what's called minimal mode in TurboGears. Then we decided that it would have been cool to be able to upload multiple versions of the template and switch between them and see the differences proposed to the other team members, which one was better and so on. And to do that, we needed the database where to register everything. We needed a crude where to create and update and modify the themes and things like that. So we, I just switched to the full stack framework. I enabled the uh, TurboGears admin and I got the code for free. I got the database set up for me and I can, I have been able to like create a full application in half an hour, starting from a single file and then moving to a full structure application with login, registration, multiple CRUDs and so on. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think there's these two camps or two philosophies in, in Python web frameworks, you've got things like Django, which are super full stack in a, in a sense, super uh, comprehensive. They even have admin backends and user management and, you know, they're big things, right? And then on the other hand, you've got things like Flask and Bottle that are just very, very focused on, we will get the request to your method and then it's up to you you know, to, yeah. to some degree, right? And so the ability to not rewrite that, go, well, it was working in Flask, but we need more, so whoop, off we go to Django. But you just sort of grow it. That's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, that's one of our objectives, what we are trying to do. Yeah, another one that you have is, uh, you said you want to make sure that the code that you write for the web framework is code that is as natural as writing just a function. Yeah, well, that's one of the philosophies behind the object dispatch system and so on. Uh, we do not want people to have to mess with things like person parameters or uh, uh, the dispatch itself or things like that. You just want a web page that accepts some parameters and they can 
you can get them to uh, get uh, URL encoded uh, method or you can get them in the body of the post or whatever. It doesn't matter. You just want some parameters to your code and you want to return something when that parameters uh, arrive. So we really think that writing a web page is much like writing a Python meter. You get something and you output something else. So Python methods are perfect for doing that. And so TurboGirls actually just whatever parameter you get into your page, it gets converted to an argument of your methods with the same name. And uh, whatever you return from your method is actually just the response of your web, your web page. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So, s- suppose I've got a a user controller and a method called show, and it's supposed to show the details of the user. And I want to pass like the user ID to go maybe to a database and pull that out. What is? Could I have like user ID in in the method for my show method? Yeah, you would just have a parameter which an argument of your method which is named user ID, for example. If I pass in the URL a user ID parameter, that will be the value of your argument. Or as Python supports uh, positional arguments, if you pass uh, forward slash one, uh, one will go into the user ID parameter as it is the first argument of the function. That's awesome. Yeah, I really like that because, you know, like I said, I'm a fan of Pyramid, but it's kind of challenging to get, you know, the route data and the post data and all those different things like gathered back up so you can start actually, you know, processing the request. So that's really cool. Another one of your philosophies is you wanted a powerful and flexible ORM with real multi-database support. What's the story there? When we started, one of the main issues with SQL object was actually that it was not as flexible as SQL Alchemy. And when we moved to SQL Alchemy, we saw that it was really simple to set up something like uh, master-slave configurations on SQL Alchemy and a router uh, and methods and queries depending on what we were doing through the SQL Alchemy session and things like that. So when you are used to Gears, you actually get out of the box something like the master-slave support. Whenever a method does only reads, it will be routed to the slaves by Turbogis itself. It is try, if it tries to write something, it will be routed to the master of your database configuration. And that's possible thanks to the SQL Alchemy unit of work, because at the end of the request, when the unit of work is flushed, you know if it contains only reads or it will contain any change of the documents. And so you can decide where you should perform those operations. Yeah, SQL Alchemy is pretty awesome. And that whole unit of work idea and auto commit or auto rollback of transactions on errors, there, there's a lot of really neat stuff. That's, that's cool that you're leveraging that. Yeah, and that's also something we are trying to leverage also MongoDB. That's the reason why we choose uh, Ming as the MongoDB library for TurboGears because that's pretty much the same concept. You get a identity map, so you don't have duplicates in your code. You get a, a unit of work, so you can flush all your changes at the end and have a single optimized set of actions instead of replicating the updates to your database. 
and you can decide to perform something when the changes are flushed and things like that. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think it's great that you support MongoDB and, and get a choice. So sort of the whole relational database story is, is covered by SQL Alchemy, which is pretty comprehensive. And then if you want good NoSQL integration, nice document database, well, MongoDB is a pretty straightforward choice, right? Yeah, actually, I've been using MongoDB for years now, and like 70% of the web application I'm studying are based on MongoDB because it's a really powerful and convenient technology. And so I wanted to produce to have as much support for MongoDB as it had for SQL Alchemy. And as we have a, a, a middleware, which is called Sprox, uh, which permits to convert the queries in the two formats, it was not so difficult to provide support for MongoDB in most uh, TurboGIS extensions like the TurboGIS admin or the registration module or things like that. So whenever you plug an extension in TurboGIS, you can be pretty sure that it will probably work with MongoDB too. Yeah, that's excellent. And I totally agree with you. Like at least 75% of the time, if I'm doing a new web app and it needs a database, you know, I need a reason not to use MongoDB, not a reason to use it, you know? <laughs> yes, the same for me. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So another thing you talked about is uh, sort of built-in support for horizontal data partitioning or what's known as sharding. So that's actually something that's not strictly related to, to Bogiers itself, I would say, because it's another of those features which SQL Alchemy makes possible. But as Bogiers works on the... Um, concept of having one or multiple database sessions available. Uh, if you want to work on different uh, nodes of your database and perform sharding, you can just set up different uh, database sessions, one for each shard, and register your models on one session or the other. And whenever you perform a query on this or that model, or whatever any extension, the admin or whatever you're using performs a query on that model, it will know that it has to perform that query on that database shard. Yeah, that's really cool. And that works with relational databases as well? Well, for MongoDB, it works uh, really simple. And while for SQL Alchemy, you actually lose the ability to perform joins when doing that because you're actually storing the data scattered across multiple databases. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You definitely have to give up a little bit on the, the relational side, which is kind of what the NoSQL databases are doing anyway to get better. So it's, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good with me. So one of the other things you talked about is uh, support for multiple data exchange formats. Is that, is that kind of like the, the hypermedia component of, of rest? Like I could do a get against a URL and have the, the accept type is image or the accept type is JSON and have it return different stuff based on that. Yeah, actually, there something like that because the routing of Turbogears itself it permits to register multiple expositions of your uh, method. And so your method is able to respond like three different things. You can return a web page, you can return a PDF file, or you can return whatever you want. And whenever the routing understands that there is an accept header or any other reason, uh, for example, it also works by the extension. If I put .json at the end of my URL, uh, the TurboGIS will try to route to something which is able to respond as JSON. Uh, 
So if your method is able to respond to HTML and JSON, it will serve you the JSON version if the URL ends with JSON, or if the URL has an upset header that says, I only accept JSON. Yeah, that's a really cool feature. I love that. Maybe we could talk a little bit about the different, how TurboGears compares against the different frameworks. Well, we already saw a lot of the things that TurboGears does different from the other frameworks, but I think that the core part is the philosophy of making everything really, really simple. TurboGears tries to be really simple for simple things while making complex things possible. So uh, you have routing receive just writing a method. You have a template engine which is a check server for you. You have a strong integration with the database, but you can even turn it off if you want. So it's a really uh, just a different way of balancing things. I will not say that there is something in TurboGears you cannot do in Django or something you cannot do in Flask. It's just a different way of balancing the features. Like Django is much more on uh, get up quickly and start with what you have to do, while Flask is more get maximum flexibility. TurboGears tried to be a little bit in the middle, uh, balancing between uh, everything should be quick, but you can have an option to turn it off and do it your way. Yeah, yeah, that's that start as a micro framework, but grow, and that's very cool. So do you want to talk about the future of TurboGears and where things are going? Yeah, that's an interesting topic because we recently tried to switch to a frequent release uh, cycle, so... During the last year, we try to release a new version every three months. Uh, so it's a, a really interesting change from the idea of releasing when you have feature rigs to releasing at that time. Whatever you have, you have, and <laughs> it doesn't matter. But that's a really important switch because it made possible to see faster feedbacks and faster uh, correction of errors and things like that. And so, it even made more important the do not break backward compatibility philosophy because with frequent releases you will have frequent issues if you uh, avoid sticking at that philosophy. And so right now, uh, we recently wrote, as I told you, from Pylos, which was used in TurboGears 2.2, to a totally separated core, which is written by the TurboGears team itself, because we wanted to support Python 3, and as we know, Pylons itself will never support Python 3, probably because it now merged with the Pyramid project. Right, right. And by the way, thank you for making Python 3 such a, a key part of, of the effort. I think, you know, things are moving in that way, but everyone's everyone's got to do a little bit of work like you're talking about here to make it actually a, a common reality, right? This episode is brought to you by CodeShip. CodeShip has launched organizations, create teams, set permissions for specific team members, and improve collaboration in your continuous delivery workflow. Maintain centralized control over your organization's projects and teams with CodeShip's new organizations plan. 
And as Talk Python listeners, you can save 20% off any premium plan for the next three months. Just use the code TALKPYTHON, all caps, no spaces. Check them out at CodeShip.com and tell them thanks for supporting the show on Twitter where they're at CodeShip. I think that right now you can start doing practically everything on Python 3 and use it day by day. But I see a lot of people still scared by the change, still unsure if they should do it or not. And so it's more like, a, a, right now it's more like a people uh, problem than a technology problem because the technology is there and the most common frameworks and libraries are available. But you're still unsure. You still have the question, and if, if I find something which is missing, what will I do? <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely uh, the, the, the painful history of it. But I, my philosophy these days is the, the same as with Mongo. Like, I need a reason not to use Python 3. So if, I, if I'm yeah. going to start something new, it'll, it'll also go down that route. That, that's cool, though. Okay, so then you also had some ideas about the future of Genji and the templating, right? Yeah, that's one. It's again related to Python 3 because it's really sad that the Genshi project is not moving forward a lot recently. Uh, actually, they have a few fixes and changes for compatibility with Python 3.4 and Python 3.5, but there is not going to be a release soon as far as I know. They are trying to get back on track and I saw that they are talking about moving Genshi to GitHub. But still, it's unsure if it will happen and when it will happen. So as we want to stick to a framework that has uh, the same features and we want to stick to the template engine that works with the same way, we are actually experimenting with various different template engines that will make possible to migrate your project from Genshi to another template engine without having to change much of your code. For example, we are experimenting with Kajiki, which has been created one of the past Turbogear's contributors, which is Rick Copland. And uh, we are trying to provide a quick way to move away from Genshi to Kajiki without having to change everything. We have a command in Gearbox, which is the toolset for Turbogear's. You have a command to upgrade your, your template from Genshi to Kajiki, and you don't have to change anything else. The command will move the templates from one to the other, much like the conversion tool moves the, the, your code from Python 2 to Python 3 and things like that. But still, we, we are still experimenting. So currently, both of them are available in Turbogear. So when you start a project, you can choose to use whatever you want. And Genshin is still the default. But it's just a possibility we have in case uh, we will need to, to take another choice due to Python free uh, support and Python evolution. Speaking of Python 3, one of the really cool features is the async and await sort of parallelism concurrency stuff. Is there any way to incorporate that into Turbo Gears? Well, currently Turbo Gears has, uh, had been support for G11 for a lot of time, but we don't have any support for async IO. Or we are thinking about that. We are still in a research phase because we are not sure that 
it will be um, such an easy thing to achieve on everything of the framework, but we are not even sure that it might be something you need to achieve on everything on the framework. For example, you can already put in front of TurboGears a WSGI server which is based on Async.io and have your application set asynchronously, but that wouldn't provide any much benefit because your I.O. through the database or things like that will still block. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. And uh, so it's much more a problem of the technologies available than of TurboGears itself. Uh, because until SQL Alchemy, for example, provides full support for Async.io, we cannot provide support for Async.io and things like that. Yeah, that makes sense, because th- those are the places you really want to use Async.io anyway, right? It's yeah. on the database calls and, and things like that. Yeah. Somewhat related to that is the whole HTTP2 thing that's coming, right? Where... Uh, a single request can come in and it can actually process many files and so on. So like maybe the, the browser makes a request to the server and it gets the main page, but then it also gets like the CSS files and the JavaScript and, and you know, a different style of processing. And yeah. I, I don't know if any of the WSGI supporter, uh, WSGI servers support that yet. I don't know of any that do. What do you, what do you see about TurboGears? WSGI and HTTP2 coming down the road? Well, that's actually a really interesting question because it, it's ch- such a big change because you are actually multiplexing multiple requests inside the same channel that it probably is not enough to rethink your HTTP server. You should also rethink your communication channel. You should rethink WSGI. You should rethink a lot of the way um, the current uh, Python web application work. So it's not something it only matters to the web framework. It's probably something that matters far less to the web framework than to the Whiskey protocol itself. I mean, Whiskey, uh, as we know, doesn't have a great support for uh, things like asynchronous or interleaved requests and things like that. Um, but we have been able to cope for the past years and uh, still go on supporting things like WebSocket or Protocol Evolution and things like that. But here we are talking about a much bigger change. We are talking about, like, it doesn't work anymore, the common idea of here is your request, give me your response. It's much like here is a part of your request, and then you can get a part of another request, totally different request. And you should interleave them and you should uh, uh, be able to start processing one while you still are waiting for the other and so on. So it probably requires a much different programming model, which actually I think you might help achieving. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking there that, you know, when you get to that level, AsyncIO might be the thing required to unlock that in Python because the threading story is not super easy to just, you know, kick that off as a bunch of threaded requests, right? You you need some way to sort of interleave those reasonably, right? Yeah, exactly. And all these changes in the Python world and in the web development world are uh, the reason why I'm also thinking about uh, 
rewriting for the 2.4 version of Turbo Gears, the config system, because so far the Turbo Gears config system has been pretty hard, well-structured, much like the Django config system. You have a bunch of options which you can set to turn on and turn off features. Then you can register middlewares or things like that. But the configuration itself stops to something like options and things like that. While I would like to achieve something more similar to the way Pyramid works, where you can register uh, even pieces of your configuration process and extend your configuration process and things like that, which are totally needed to evolve to different technologies and things like uh, switch to a different programming paradigm like AsyncIO or HTTP2. And it will make possible for people to go on using TurboGears even in the future and even when they have to switch to technologies which maybe at the time TurboGears doesn't get support, but you can enable by plugging an additional configuration step in your configurations and setup system. It's going to be an interesting time when it switches to HTTP2, isn't it? Yeah, it would <laughs> definitely will be. I think we are in a really interesting moment for web development because uh, it's still exploring where it has to go. We are no more at the time of websites, and we are not yet at the time of whatever it will be in the future. We are still in the most interesting period, probably. Yeah, it's a great time to be a developer. I feel like, you know, there was, in the early web, like everybody thought the web was a brochure, right? It was like mm-hmm. a, a document and it was just fixed. And then now we know it can be so much more, but we haven't really gotten it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So let's talk about some of the other things that you have going on, some other uh, open source projects, maybe. So you already talked about Kajik, can you, how do you say Rick Copeland's template engine? <laughs> I would probably it's Kajiki, but I'm not sure. Ka- yeah, yeah, Japanese. Okay. Kajiki, yeah, Kajiki. So just for people listening, that's K-A-J-I-K-I. And I'll put the link in the in the website. So we already talked about that one, but then you have some other ones. You have one called Depot. What's that? Well, Depot is a really interesting project because like a year ago or so, we had a project uh, we worked on that needed to switch file storage during the deployment. Actually, we developed everything storing files locally, and then the customer decided that it wanted to go on a path that didn't support saving files. So we had to switch to something different for storing files. We wanted to go to GridFS on MongoDB. And so we had to rewrite the code, and we did that like writing everything related to saving files the day before the go live of the project, which is not a really good idea. <laughs> so we learned from that error and uh, we worked to, we wanted to create a framework that made possible to save, read and sell files in web application without caring at all about where they are saved. And so we started Depot. I started working on Depot as just an abstraction layer and it evolved on something much more powerful and much more convenient. For example, uh, right now Depot supports filters on your files. So you can, for example, add a filter that creates multiple thumbnails on, on your images when you upload them. Or you can uh, integrate with the unit of work of SQL Alchemy because Depot has strict integration with MongoDB and SQL Alchemy. And whenever your transaction rolls back, 
even your files go back at the previous state. So a previous state of the files is recovered, or if you uploaded a new file, it's automatically deleted for you whenever the column is deleted or the transaction is all bad. That is actually a seriously cool feature. Yeah, absolutely. And people started as an extension for Turbo Gears, but pretty early I decided that it would benefit practically any web framework because it didn't have any requirements on the framework itself. And now it's a library that you can use on top of everything. I know a lot of people are using it with Flask, and it works like just one configure command at the beginning of your web application and you have people ready to serve your files. Yeah, okay, that looks really cool. And the fact that it integrates with GridFS and the, the real file system makes me think you could point it at things like cloud blob storage and other places pretty easily, right? Yeah, we also have support for S3, for example. And right now we have support for those three, but if you want to provide support for another uh, storage, you can just subclass the storage class, provide your own, and register it in with people. So if people want to add additional backends, it's totally possible and really, really simple. Okay, yeah, that's really awesome. Another one that you have is Duke PY, Duke Pi. Yeah, I started working Duke PY against for uh, my own needs because uh, I'm now a really uh, Python lover. I want to use Python for everything, okay? <laughs> so whenever I have on my system to set up Node.js just to compile my coffee script, and right now I'm using mostly ECMAScript so to compile my ECMAScript to the current version and things like that. I was really frustrated by the fact that I needed to set up Node.js just for that, to have Google or whatever you want to use to compile your assets pipeline and convert your uh, uh, SAS to CSS, uh, minify your JS or whatever. Because Node is one of the uh, environments where these tools are most, mostly available because they have been written by JavaScript developers. So I started to look around for a solution that would make possible to run those tools on Python. So take the CoffeeScript compiler and things like that and run it on Python so that I could also integrate in my middleware and directly serve the CoffeeScript file for my web framework without needing to pre-compile them and things like that. And I saw that the uh, tools available at Python for that are not really simple to use. They are really, really powerful because we have the, a layer for SpiderMonkey, we have a layer for V8 and things like that, but it's not really easy to set them up. You need to compile a lot of dependencies and things like that. And then I started working with DuckTape, which is a really simple JavaScript interpreter written in plain C. And I started uh, embedding it in a toolkit, which is actually DuckPy, which you can just pip install and have a full full working uh, JavaScript interpreter in Python. So you can run JavaScript from Python. And the main difference from the other technology is just that you just need to pip install it and it will work because it's just a single file that gets compiled without any external dependency. Now that's a real, that's a cool project. Yeah, and it provides 
out of the box when you people install it, it already provides the Babel.js compiler, the CoffeeScript compiler, and a few other tools built in into the project itself. So you just pip install it and you can compile your ECMAScript 6 to ECMAScript 5 and go on working without the need of an external tool. Oh yeah, nice. I'm a fan of less. Does it support less? Well, currently we do not have less itself inside that pie because I'm actually a SAS, SCSS user, so I use libsas, which is available for Python. But it's really easy to add it because you just have an execute function where you can pass the JavaScript code it gets executed, so you can pass the uh, less compiler code to DuckPy and provide him with the input that needs to be compiled, and you will get back the string with the compiled code. That's at least how it works for the Babel.js compiler and so on. Yeah, okay, very cool. So if for some reason I want to serve less files and I, s- I set them up right in the, in the system directly off of like talkpython.fm and I want to minify my JavaScript without actually running that. You know, I just push the real JavaScript unminified versions up there and it, it's, I want them switched together. Could I just sort of set up some kind of web handler that when it saw a request for the JavaScript file, it would cache and minifies that and re- return it back using duckpy? Yes, exactly. I'm actually using a framework which is called Web Assets which is available for any web framework. You can set it on top of whatever you want. And it provides a middleware and a caching layer and whatever that compiles the assets through a bunch of filters. And so you can register a, a filter which uses DuckPy to compile your less or to compile your JavaScript. And web assets will provide all the caching and intelligence to understand whenever it changes and needs to be recompiled. Oh, that's really awesome. Okay, I'll add a link to all those things in the in the show notes. Very cool. Alessandro, we're getting pretty close to the the end of the show. Do you have uh, maybe some final call to actions or uh, want to tell people what they should do to get started with Turbo Gears? Well, actually, there is only one call to action that I really want to tell people that want to get started with Turbogear, which is just ask. Ask for whatever you want, ask for features and things like that, because I think that one of the more important parts of our web framework is actually that people uh, complain about it, okay? (laughs) Things can only improve if you complain. Otherwise, it's just my vision of how the framework should be. And feedbacks are really, really important, and that's the reason why we are starting to see uh, like agile methodologies and frequent release cycles and things like that uh, used every day in computer development, because when you have something as complex as a software, which has millions of variables and things like that, you cannot take the right choice on your own. You always need to have feedbacks and users that tell you where, where are their problems and how things should evolve and improve. Yeah, that's a really cool philosophy. You know, start with something somewhat minimum viable and then like let it grow however it grows, right? Yeah. Everyone, let the Turbo Gears team know what, what you need. That's awesome. All right, two more questions before I let you go. If you're going to write some Python code, what editor do you open up? Well, as an editor, I use Beam, but as a... <laughs> development environment I'm using PyCharm. Yeah, okay. 
Very cool. Very cool. And of all the PyPI packages out there, what are some that you think are amazing that people aren't using? Maybe web assets? Yeah, uh, web assets, I can definitely suggest it. It's one of the uh, tools that I use most frequently, and it works perfectly. It has been around for a lot of time, so you can use it on production and go on safely. This has been a fun conversation, and it's been great to think about the future of the web and web frameworks. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Michael, for hosting me. Yeah, you bet. Talk to you later. Bye. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Today's guest was Alessandro Molina, and this episode has been sponsored by Hired and Codeship. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Hired wants to help you find your next big thing. Visit Hired.com slash TalkPython to me to get five or more offers with salary and equity presented right up front and a special listener signing bonus of $4,000. Codeship wants you to always keep shipping. Check them out at Codeship.com and thank them on Twitter via at Codeship. Don't forget the discount code for listeners. It's easy. TalkPython, all caps, no spaces. Did you know you can personally support the show too? Just visit patreon.com slash mkennedy and join over 100 listeners who contribute between $1 to $2 per episode. You can find the links from the show at talkpython.fm slash episodes slash show slash 35. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Open your favorite podcatcher and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes and direct RSS feeds in the footer of the website. Our theme music is Developers, Developers, Developers by Corey Smith, who goes by Smix. You can hear the entire song on talkpython.fm. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thank you so much for listening. Smix, take us out of here. Stating with my voice, there's no norm that I can feel within. Haven't been sleeping, I've been using lots of rest. I'll pass the mic back to who rocked it best.